Hello once again, and welcome to my podcast, Reset, 40 is the New Happy. It's a series celebrating the courage and joy of leaving a career in midlife to pursue new adventures and fulfillment. Richard Hatton of Hooksa took a more expected route in that he worked through to a traditional retirement age, then hit the gas pedal to explore several new pursuits that brought all this passion to life. He's an author, a volunteer, and an advocate. Richard Hatton's latest novel is Miracle at Janet's Mountain, and there are two others that are soon to go to the publisher for release sometime in 2017. So, Richard, you got a college degree in English Lit. What brought you to your many years with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development with that college background? Well, it was a bit of an accident to begin with. I was uh, going to school in Winooski, Vermont, and the city of Winooski had a very active and successful federal program called the Model Cities Program, and they had an opening, and I was looking for a position somewhere. When you graduate from school, your, your tendency is to take the first available job if you can find one. So I applied for the position and was successful in getting it and found myself suddenly immersed in a world of bureaucracy and uh, alphabet soup agencies. And it was a, a unique challenge for me because it was way outside my comfort zone. But there was a lot of training opportunities and the city of Winooski was quite supportive of the employees being trained. And I really immersed myself in that program which incidentally just led me into a career with the Department of Housing and Urban Development at the federal level because I was recognized as being a, an exceptional uh, evaluator of programs and I had a good grasp of the federal um, uh, resources that were available and I thought I would be an excellent fit for the federal agency. So I moved from local to federal very quickly. So you kind of didn't see this coming, at least right out of college but you must have liked it enough and were good enough at it to put aside any other plans you may have had for, what, 40 years? <laughs> it, yes, that's quite true. It, it, what was nice about starting off working for the city of Winooski is that is the community I was born and raised in. And so it gave me a chance in working with the federal resources that were coming into that community to make sure that the resources were going to be fully used and get to the maximum benefit for the community itself. And I learned a lot of skill sets in this job that would later on be very, very helpful to me. And it, one of the things that I learned in that process was how to effectively communicate with all sorts of levels. I was dealing with citizens, and, and one minute, the next minute, I'd have a conversation with Washington officials, uh, state officials, regional officials of government. And so I had to be constantly moving back and forth between various levels of uh, public uh, policy formation and project development. And it was a skill set that really set the table for me in terms of my career at the federal level. And I enjoyed it because I felt it was a good use of my talents. So were any of your HUD experiences the basis for characters that we read in your horror tales today? Did you file any of those away and kind of work them in somewhere? Well, any author would tell you that they, they capture the uh, essence of some people they meet in their life or some incidences in their life that they use as a, a, a stepping stone towards the development of a character or storyline, and I'm no different. Uh, there were certainly some very unusual people that I encountered in my federal career. Um, I've had a federal career that took me to all points of New England, so I got a chance to interact with people throughout uh, the New England region and 
while doing so, I was always paying attention to personalities, their personal quirks, their habits. I would explore in private conversation with them, what are the things that amuse you? What are the things that frighten you? What are the things that um, seem to, to impress you uh, or leave a mark on you in your life? And I've taken all of that knowledge and I've stored it uh, in my own mind so I'm ready to deploy it in the characters that I write about. Would have been a waste not to have done that, I suppose. Absolutely. I was getting paid to do one thing, and I was at the same time doing research for hopefully a, a career one day as a novelist. Yeah. It's interesting that as a child, you were fascinated by Bible stories, and today much of your writing involves darkness, evil, and mystery. Where did that come from? Well, it, it, it comes from the fact that I grew, I grew up in a very uh, uh, committed uh, environment of, of spirituality. Uh, my, my grandparents and, and aunts and uncles and, and my own family, father and mother, were very, very uh, involved in, in their faith and believed deeply in it, and as did I. I was an altar boy as a young boy. Uh, and, and it got to the point where I was actually recruited by three different religious orders to perhaps become a priest. But the reason I'm fascinated with the Bible is not, not just because of the, the spiritual nature of, of, of the, the book itself, but the story is also about a lot of humanity, and it's good humanity and, and evilness at times. And the, the stories, if you will, the parables that are built within those stories are really stories about good versus evil, choices people are making in their lives and the consequences those choices have, uh, have made in their lives. So when I'm writing a book, I deliberately go out of my way to uh, explore that process that goes on in, in the minds of people and I therefore deploy it in the characters. I'm putting them in a situation where they have choices. They can go one way or another, and the choice they make leads them down a path, and that path ultimately leads to a climax in the story, and hopefully um, I, I seem to enjoy, I guess, the, the, the timeless uh, uh, notion that good will triumph over evil if the right choices are made. You're a very uh, prolific and successful writer. Mm -hmm. So the question is, you know, you kind of always had this in you, what took you so long? Why did you wait till after formal retirement to really dig in? Well, there's, there's a couple of obvious reasons. I had a young family, and I was deeply involved in volunteerism activities in, through my children, and that consumed a huge amount of time and energy, uh, as well as my job. My job took me, like I said, all around New England, and in the latter years, I was the uh, deputy director for community development around New England. So I had staff in three states. So I had a, a larger management responsibility. I didn't really have the time to explore creative writing in the way I would have liked. So I, I tested myself by writing articles for regional and national sports publications uh, uh, on the subject of youth soccer and youth sports in general. And uh, those were very well received, and I was getting a lot of uh, uh, interest in, in, in writing more articles for those publications. So that was one initial point of validation, and the other occurred when I had the good fortune of bumping into Stephen King when he was campaigning in New Hampshire for Senator Gary Hart. And I had a sit-down conversation with him while he was having lunch um, at Bobby Stevens' restaurant, The Vault, on Elm Street in Manchester. And... 
Uh, as a result of that conversation, towards the end, I had a, 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 a little moment with him where I was trying to talk about a storyline that I was interested in, and I was hoping it might be something he would be interested in. And he stopped me after listening to the, the presentation, and he said, you know what, I think you should be the writer. And I, and I, and I protested. I said, no, I'm a federal bureaucrat. <laughs> At that point in my life, I've had 40 years of government uh, uh, forced into me, and I couldn't see that in myself. And, and he, but he did. He said, I think you should write this story. You are a good storyteller. You hold the interest of, of your audience as you have with me today. I think you should explore writing. I think you'd do very well with it, and let me give you some advice. And he gave me three pieces of advice, which, quite frankly, went over my head because I felt frankly, a little crushed that my, my <laughs> idol, uh, my, my most favorite author, was pushing me away from an idea that I thought was a home run for him. And after reflecting upon that and, and beginning the task of really seriously writing fiction, which I took up after retirement, I discovered very quickly uh, that A, he was right, I love the writing, B, the writing was uh, uh, interesting enough that it held readers' interest, and 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 the most important part of, all, of it all was um, his advice of, of, about what I needed to do as a writer uh, really proved to be spot on. Because when I first approached a uh, publisher, the first publisher uh, uh, of any that I approached said, "I would like to take you on, and I, I think you are a writer with great potential, a lot of upside." So. Uh, I guess he was right, and I learned from that. Wow, very encouraging. Uh, and looking back, have you ever considered sending one of your works to Stephen King and say, hey, I'm the guy that met you at Bobby Stevens' restaurant. You were doing some campaign work right. at the time. He might recall that conversation and might have a look. I, I've actually tried to do that, and wow. so far we haven't connected. He has a very effective screener <laughs> process. Uh, I, got, I got a nice picture sent back to me, uh, signed by him, but uh, I, I don't think there is a mechanism yet available, but I'm always on the lookout for that because I owe it to him. Not only did his writing inspire me, but his conversation with me really caused me to ref turn around and look inside myself and see whether or not I had the potential. And if someone like him felt I had the potential, then I, I certainly had to be honest with myself and give it a shot, give it a try and see how far I could go with it. And so far, it's been an amazing ride. So that, that's the writing part of your life. And reinventing oneself after retirement opens new doors in volunteer work. Why have you become an advocate for prostate cancer? That, I, I really appreciate that question. Uh, I had a very close friend for many, many years while I was a active volunteer in a number of different soccer program levels here in the state, regionally and nationally. And this close friend of mine called me up one day to say to me that uh, he thought I would be a great addition to the board of directors of the New Hampshire Prostate Cancer Coalition. And I, I've asked him, why, of all the people you know, are you calling me at this point in my life? And he said, you don't know this about me, but I have prostate cancer. And someday I'm going to die from this cancer. And I want you to come and help us because I know from your experience with the federal government, I know from your experience as a volunteer and the success you've had with those programs, 
that you can make a difference in this organization and you can help finish what I've been trying to do for the last few years with this organization. I couldn't turn the man down. Uh, my wife and I both decided we'd join the organization, and we have, and we've been working uh, tirelessly to try to raise awareness about prostate cancer and to raise awareness about patients' rights when it comes to health care, and, 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 and at the same time also working hard to raise money for the organization, which is struggling to have the resources it needs to do the job effectively. And... I, it's it's an honor to have been asked by him, but more importantly, I feel a, a tremendous responsibility to carry out his wishes. And he passed away last year, and uh, he was a great loss because he was a man loved by many many people. Because he was also a year-round volunteer. He had been volunteering since he was a young man, and he made a difference in the community, and I res always respected him for that, and I want to honor him and do the very best I can to make the New Hampshire Prostate Cancer Coalition an effective tool. Give us the website for those who would like to investigate further. The website is www.pccnh.org. And we have that listed on this page as well for people who... Uh, didn't get it or didn't write it down. Uh, you and your wife, Ann, stay very busy as volunteers with Granite State Ambassadors, the Palace Theater. Those are two I know of, and there may be others. What kind of fulfillment do these activities bring now in your retirement years? Well, it brings fulfillment in, in ways that you can't even begin to um, measure. Um, I want my children and my grandchildren to understand the value of being a volunteer in the community, to look for ways where you can make a difference in people's lives. We all have extra time in our life if we really want to make room for, for things. And there are so many charities that have so many needs for people to step in and help out. You can't begin to imagine how many charities that you get involved in and you find the same people are involved in multiple charities. So th that means a, a lot of people are carrying a great uh, deal of responsibility. Any little piece that anybody can do can make a huge difference in people's lives. And whether it was volunteering in soccer to help children and help the, the adults uh, be good coaches, good referees, and good administrators, or whether it's, in this instance, uh, prostate cancer work or as Grand Estate Ambassador helping tourism in, in this state, uh, we want to make a difference. And the reward comes from the fact that people come up to you and say, thank you or I appreciate what you're doing, or I can't believe you're doing this for nothing, or I can't believe that you put all this time into it. They have no idea what a small amount of compliment does to a volunteer. It's the fuel that drives the engine of volunteerism. And finally, in your world, writing and volunteering beats golf and sitting on the beach, I assume, after closing a long career. What advice can you offer to soon-to-be retirees? Don't sit on your duff. Get up and get out and do things. And the reason I tell you that is this. I've seen too many people in my own generation and preceding generations who relax and decide it's a, it's a time in their life where they, they deserve to be able to relax and do nothing. But what it does is if you, it's like taking a car and driving it for years and years and putting a lot of mileage and then you suddenly park it in the garage. When you need to use the car, it's stiff, it doesn't run right, it's slow, it's probably not able to get you where you want to go. Your body's the same way, your mind is the same way. Keeping your world as big as possible, 
keeping yourself as active as possible, to me is a secret to a joyful, satisfying, and rewarding retirement. Well, you should make it to about 100 then, based on what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) That's in God's hands. Yes. Richard Hatton, continued success with your writing career, and thanks for all the things you do on behalf of community organizations. Thank you, Mike, and thank you for the work you're doing in this particular uh, podcast uh, program that you've put together, because I think it's an amazing thing you're doing, and it's going to hopefully catch the eyes and ears of those who are out there in the retirement world or thinking of it. Thanks.